Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear John Flynn. This isn't weird. It's okay. Let's be quiet about that. And her daughter, you can tell, she's like, the adults are in trouble. (laughs) That and more. But first... No one really has time to go to the post office. We're all too busy. But Stamps.com brings all the amazing services of the U.S. Postal Service right to your computer. You simply use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send. Once your mail's ready, just hand it to your mail carrier or drop it in the mailbox. It's that simple. With Stamps.com, you get five cents off every first-class stamp and up to 40% off priority mail. to mention it's a fraction of the cost of those expensive postage meters. No wonder over 700,000 small businesses already use stamps.com. And right now, risk listeners get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage. And and there's Donkey. (laughs) Donkey. He uses stamps.com and he loves it. And right now, risk listeners get a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage and a digital scale without any long-term commitment. Just go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in risk. That's stamps.com. Enter risk. Now here's the show. Oh, kids, this is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison. This is Down to the Bone behind me now. And we are calling this week's episode Discombobulated, which is actually a description of your host. It's not really, well, I mean, yeah, sure, it's about the stories. But the fact is, the three stories that we had in mind for this week's episode over the past several days, all three of those storytellers have said to me, wait, 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 wait I, I'm not sure I want you to use that on the episode, or or at least not yet. And then they kept changing their minds, and then I finally said, here's three other stories, <laughs> which are phenomenal stories, and also happen to be about people who are discombobulated. But then again, aren't we all... In a little bit, we're going to hear from John Flynn, another story about his infamous pot cookies. <laughs> it's amazing how many stories come out of John Flynn's pot cookies. But before that, we're going to hear for the very first time on the show, Jamie Kennedy, 
You know Jamie from the Scream movies, from his stand-up comedy, from his podcast, I hate to break it to you. Here he is now at the Risk Live show at the San Francisco Sketch Fest this year with a story we call, It Is Terrible. Yes. Uh, it was 1994, and uh, I'm living in my buddy's girlfriend's converted garage. And my buddy was sleeping with his UCLA law professor. It was 1994. Time was not up. If you guys hate that, it's going to be a really long story. Okay, so it's a lot. Just. I was starting to get a little traction in Hollywood, but I was completely broke. Okay. The only thing I was living on were the residuals of an El Pollo Loco commercial. And it was only regional. So. I got flown to New York to audition for SNL. I did not get it. I was one of three comedians picked to do a pilot presentation for MTV. And my pilot was called Just Ask Jamie. And people would ask me to do crazy things. And the basis of the pilot was that a guy rode in and had a Brooke Shields Blue Lagoon poster that he wanted her to sign. So I had to follow Andre Agassi, because they were dating at the time, at the US Open to get her to sign it. It didn't get picked up. But, but you could see that it was a missed opportunity. There was a lot of good. I'm completely broke, and I'm living there, and I have these pains. I get these pains in my back, and I've had them on and off for years. And, over the last year, they became, you know, weekly, daily. It became huge. I'm like, what is wrong with me? Go to a bunch of doctors, get a bunch of tests. Nobody can find anything. They sent me to a German guy in UCLA, and he was a urologist. After a bunch of tests, he comes in, he goes, your kidney is blown up. What? what are you talking about? My kidney goes, yes. Your kidney is the size of the softball. And I'm like, softball? I go, is that good? He goes, it is terrible. <laughs> no. And I'm like, is that the pain? He goes, yeah, it's so big. It's hitting the back and it's about to explode. I'm broke, I didn't get SNL, El Pollo Loco's running out. My Brooke Shields pilot did not get picked up. So I'm like, what do we do? He goes, it is not a problem. What we're going to do is we're going to drain the kidney. And I said, how are you gonna do that? He goes, well, we're going to use a stint. 
Now, I don't know if you guys know what a stint is. And he goes, I go, what is that? He goes, it is a tube that we insert in you, and then it slowly drains the kidney to your bladder. And I said, how does that, uh, how's that tube uh, travel in there? <laughs> what do we do? What's the, what's the entryway for this, uh, this hard plastic object? <laughs> we insert it through your penile hole. I'm like, what? He goes, don't worry, you'll be asleep. Oh, that's so much better to have something jam through your dick hole. If you thought soap burned. Look, I don't even want somebody's tongue in there, okay? Let alone a long plastic hard fucking tube. But he's like, you must do it. You have a big problem. So next thing you know, I'm admitted. He admit me, I'm out. I wake up and I'm, it's done. And he's like, it is done. <laughs> and I'm, like, I'm like, okay. I'm like, I don't really feel anything. It goes, you will, in about two hours. I'm, I'm, I'm on morphine. I'm on H. They get me on everything, right? I'm, throw the book at it. So he's like, you know, you're going to go home, and then for six weeks, you're going to get it out, and we're going to see what's, what we have. And I said, um, you know, I can't have a girlfriend. Do uh, you think I can have sex? He goes, I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> So I go home and, you know, I'm laying in bed for like two days and like futon, you know, and I cover thing. And I go take a piss and I'm, I'm like, my piss starts bloody. I it's a risk, okay, I'm telling you. <laughs> and it smells like old tuna. <laughs> hey, but I'm thinking it's working. It's working. That's old pee from like the 70s. <laughs> that this thing is getting out, so. So, in the meantime, you know, I'm like, I'm working at Domino's, I'm delivering pizzas, but I'm like limping as a whole. So I have a girlfriend, and she's pretty sexy. She's, you know, I'm 24, she's 23, and uh, she was healthy. I don't know how to say it in this. I don't know how to describe it in 2019, but she was... She was very healthy. Things were... If you're tired and you want to lay your head, that's where you want to do it, whatever that is. And she was very loving, you know, but she's also crazy. She was uh, trying to be a comedian, you know, wasn't sure. And she was a little nuts. She was really kind of nuts, but... And I swore I would never mess around with a female comedian, but, you know, she, was, she threw something at me one time. And I thought, Jesus, she's psycho. God, I wonder how she's in bed. <laughs> Because I was passionate, and then so we started dating, and then so anyway, I, she knew a little bit, but she didn't know that we couldn't have sex. Anyway, long story short, I'm getting a boner, right? And I'm like, and it fucking hurt. It like, you know, but she, like I said, she was healthy, so and I'm like, I gotta do it, you know? I'm gonna, and she's like, you gotta have fucking sex with me, and I'm like, okay, I'll do it, and I did it. Because I didn't think it would be as bad as the piss or the plastic thing that was already in there. 
and we're having sex, and it's like the noises that I usually do change. I was like, oh, oh, ah. <laughs> like a wild stuck pig, you know? Just, she's like, what? Are you okay? What the? I'm like, I'm and she's like, do you want me to ride you? I'm like, no, no. Push the tube farther, so. So, I thought, you know, like my friend, you know, earlier, I, I came very, I, my life was pre-cum. I was always had, it was always stuff in the chamber in that part of my life. So I came very quickly, and, and I was like, ah! oh, and it was, it hurt, you know, and I hope this isn't too gross, but it's risk. I, I didn't think it would hurt because urine is acidic, so it burns. And I thought, I thought semen would be like milk. And, you know, when you eat too much fucking jalapenos and they give you sour cream, I thought that would be the same. Right? It would line the, the causeway and... It did it. It burned like hell. It went, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm horny. I'm right? 23. I'm broke. I got no money from El Pollo Loco. So, and she's like, "What's wrong?" I'm like, "I can't dick fuck. Not supposed to fuck." Anyway, she's like, "Okay." So, four four weeks, four five weeks pass. I go back to the hospital, and the doctor's sitting there, and he goes, he goes. Your kidney is the size of a raisin. I'm like, a raisin? It was, just, it's just a, it was just a fucking grapefruit. What is with all the food analogies with this fucking guy? And I go, is that good? He goes, it is terrible. So I said, well, I said, well, what does that mean? He goes, well, we shrunk your kidney, and it is now it is very, very tiny. <laughs> it was like kind of sending to it. Like, it is very puny. It is it's not much of a kidney. <laughs> so I'm like, well, I'm like, well, what's going on? He goes, well, we recommend uh, the people to have a kidney with a 20% function or more. And I said, oh, okay, what's mine at? He goes, 3%. <laughs> and I go, is that good? He goes, <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> and he goes, we must remove the kidney. <laughs> right? Right? It's like the passport moment, right? You don't know where the fuck... And I'm like, what? And I, I, I go, what are you talking about? He goes, yes, your kidney is very bad. It could get infected. And it could spread through your body and you could be dead. <laughs> I'm like, well, how long? He's like, within 48 hours. <laughs> Would you like a mint? I mean, fucking... <laughs> These fucking Germans, I mean, they have no... <laughs> you have to lose your arm. Merry Christmas. <laughs> I mean, he was good. No bedside manner, right? So, 
So I'm like fucking freaking out. I get nothing. I'm like, dude. And um, I'm like, I, I went from like having back pain to like having something jammed through my cock to just pain beyond to bleeding to now losing an organ, a major one. And he, then he educated me. He's like, it is no problem. Look, people can live with one kidney all the time. You can live with a quarter kidney. They can do a lot of stuff without a kidney. <laughs> and then he goes, and if you don't have a kidney, you go on the machine. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. He goes, I know, but it would keep you alive. <laughs> it's like the worst upsell for dialysis. And I'm like, is that good? He goes, it's terrible. <laughs> and he's like, listen, you must have this operation. You have to lose the kidney. And I go, dude, I don't have fucking time to lose a kidney. I got a Taco Bell call back in the morning, okay? I got... My priorities were out of whack. I was in denial. I go away. I'm like, go at everybody, herbalist, you know, acupuncture, other doctors. I call everybody, and everyone's like, dude, you got a bad kidney. And I'm like, okay, what do I do? So I just go back, and I'm like, fuck it. Let's do it, dude. We got to do it. So he's like, okay. You come to your senses. <laughs> <laughs> so we go, and I said, dude, I don't even know how the fuck I'm going to do it. Okay, I don't have any money. Okay, I don't have any insurance. I'm broke. I'm a broke actor comedian. And then he says, he says, well... Here's what we're going to do. You are going to get the procedure done at a county hospital, and they will cover it. And I will waive my fee. And I said, why? He goes, yes, I will waive your fee. And I said, why? And he says, because you need it. Just like that, like 75 fucking operation. This fucking guy, like, I don't know, I'm getting sure. He waves his fucking feet, right? And I was like, okay. You do that? And he's like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, I just got choked up. I'm like having PTSD. And uh, I go, do you normally do that? And he goes, no, that would be terrible. So, I go have the operation. It's incredible, amazing success. Very blessed, right? And uh, thank you, thank you, one person. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> no, I died, and um, this is another universe. This is a multiverse. Um, I'm thinking, what would my doctor say? He would go, that'd be terrible. Let's <laughs> <laughs> just end it with this. I had nothing going on. It took me four months to recover. And I had nothing. And uh, my agent sent me. All of a sudden, I got three auditions, three scripts. Uh, one was a weird art movie that was being directed by Cameron Crowe about a sports agent. <laughs> starring Tom Cruise. But <laughs> and they wanted me to read for the role of Bob Sugar. Another one was a movie that I really wanted and I thought I was going to get. I had two auditions. It was called Biodome. 
And I auditioned my face. I thought two dudes in a dome, that's it. That's a winner. It was Paulie Shore. Stephen Ball wouldn't beat me out. Okay. And the third one was a low-budget movie, a little horror movie my agent didn't know anything about, called Scream. <laughs> Follow your dreams, guys. Thank you. everybody. So I only got high once in high school, uh, and it was on my 16th birthday. The guy who I had a big crush on, Eric Flaherty, he and I were hanging out, and he told me he had two presents for me. The first one, he took out a joint, and I'd never smoked before, but I was like, well, this is a gift. I can't say no. Uh, so I smoked that joint with him, and then the second gift was he let me give him a blowjob. Um, couldn't say no to that. Uh, yeah, it was my first joint, but not my first blowjob. Uh, anyway, the reason why I didn't uh, do a lot of drugs in high school is because uh, my father, at the time, was the senior district attorney in the state of New Jersey in drugs. Like, he was, like, prosecuting all the big drug people. So I was like, oh, this would be bad if I got caught with drugs at home. I made up for it later. I became a drug dealer and <laughs> when I lived in New York, and I sold pot cookies, and it was very lucrative. Um, so don't worry, I caught up. Um, <laughs> But my father is like a very like intense, sort of like very grumpy, <laughs> angry man. Um, he had a very sort of like, he, he's very weird sort of like lines. Like when I came out to him, he was like, uh, I figured and don't worry, I still love you. But a couple of months later when I told him I had my first boyfriend, he like freaked out. He literally was like, I don't want to know about it. Don't tell me. I don't care. I'll never be happy for you for finding love. Uh, no. So, um, and then he never apologized because that's my father. So... Yeah, so that's that. So when I go home, I like to have, uh, like probably a lot of you people, when you're like leaving California to go home for the holidays, you're like, I want some drugs to take with me to deal with my family. And um, while I no longer sell pot cookies for a living, I still bake the occasional batch because, you know, you want to keep the skills sharp. Um, so, um, so I had baked a bunch. Uh, and by the way, like edibles, as I'm sure you all know, is the best way to travel with drugs because, you know, if you're home, you can like just have a half a cookie in your bedroom and no one's going to be like, what smells weird in here? You know, you just have them. So uh, I went home last year for Christmas uh, and I brought two dozen cookies with me. And I had put these cookies <laughs> in plastic baggies inside a Tupperware inside my bag, and then in my bedroom, I put them on the top shelf of my childhood bedroom so that they would be safe and no one would ever find them or anything. So I get home, and, uh, you know, my parents are there, my sister's there, everyone's there, it's a lot of fun. And my dad has these three dogs. They're field spaniels. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that weird dog breed. Um, <laughs> but their names are Sam, Addie, and Smitty. And they're just like, they're very short and they're just like have a lot of energy and they just like run around and they're like very like annoying and they constantly just like need things. They just like want your attention. I think of them as like the Minions, like if the Minions were dogs. I've never seen the Minions movie, so maybe I'm wrong, but that's like in my brain what these dogs are like. 
So, and like my dad has like not trained them or disciplined them in any way because they're like his dogs and they're an extension of his ego and he can do whatever he wants because he's now a judge. And so <laughs> the only people he hangs out with are his dogs and the people who work for him. So like he's in a great mental place. Um, so I'm hanging out. It's Christmas Eve during the day and I'm hanging out with my two sisters. One of my sister's friends, her name is Stacy. She's like an old family friend. Stacy has a six-year-old son and a nine-year-old daughter. And we're all just hanging out in the living room. For whatever reason, I go upstairs to my bedroom and I see Sam, one of the field spaniels, is just digging through these cookies. Somehow he opened the door to my bedroom, opened the closet door, got the, got the bag from the top shelf, opened it up, opened the Tupperware, and, is, and I was furious. Because <laughs> I was like, you fucking dog. I need these to survive the holidays. And I was like pissed, and I like yell at him, and he runs out, and I like figure out, I had like 10 cookies left, so this dog had eaten 10 or 12 cookies. <laughs> Um, and as David will probably tell you later, these are very strong cookies. Uh, and this is like a 35-pound dog. And I just didn't say, I was like, fuck that dog. <laughs> I was so mad. I was like, fucking dog ruining my Christmas. So I go downstairs, and I'm hanging out with my sisters and Stacy and her kids, and we're just sort of talking. And I'm like, I'm not going to say anything, because it'll be fine, whatever, fucking dog. Uh. And then after about an hour, oh, my parents at this time are at Costco buying like more food, because they didn't get enough. And at one point, Stacy's son, who's six years old, just starts laughing and points at Sam and goes, that dog's eyes are weird. <laughs> and we look over, and this poor dog, his eyes are like red. And he's just sort of sitting there, like, sort of shaking. And everyone's like, oh my God, what's going on with Sammy? And I'm like, guys, I think Sammy ate some of my pot cookies. Like, I didn't even want to admit it to them. And they're like, they go, oh my God, how many did he have? And I'm like, mm, I think maybe four. I couldn't, I couldn't, I wasn't ready to be fully honest. Um, so of course everyone whips out their phone and they're Googling like dogs eating pot, you know, like, and everyone's like, I think he'll be fine, da, 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 you know, whatever. As we're sort of doing our internet research, we see our parents drive up and honest to God, we all felt like teenagers again. It was just like, mom and dad are home. Oh, fuck. <laughs> like, I can't remember the last time I was scared that my parents were home. So, like, we're like, all right, what are we going to do? we got to distract dad until just, hey, we just need to buy time. We just need to buy time. It'll go through Sammy's system. It'll be fine. And, of course, Stacy is talking to her kids. She's like, don't mention anything about the dog. This isn't weird. It's okay. Let's be quiet about that. And her daughter, you can tell, she's like, the adults are in trouble. <laughs> So my older sister's like, I'll just hold on to him. I'll just make it seem like I'm cuddling with them. So like my parents come in with like chicken and like Costco cheese balls, whatever. And uh, my dad's like, oh, that's Sammy. He just loves to cuddle and just like walks along. <laughs> and we're like, dodge the first bullet. So then we're like, all right, how do we, we need to like, again, we need to buy time till these cookies get through this poor dog system. So uh, I, had a, I had a couple of SAG screeners. So I was like, let's watch The Darkest Hour because... <laughs> A World War II movie, the, da the judge is going to sit down and watch. <laughs> so we sit down and watch that, and I'm like, Sammy's just like lying on my lap, and he's just like, he's breathing, I'm totally checking that constantly, but he's just like, he's just like a dead rag. He's just like lying there, and I'm like, get up, you fucking stupid dog. <laughs> there was sugar in those cookies. Um, so the movie ends, and then we go have dinner, and then my dad gives food to the dogs, and he notices that Sammy doesn't go and like run and get his food like he always does. So then my dad finally is like, where's Sammy? And then he sees the dog and the dog is still, I mean, the dog had enough cookies to knock out an elephant. <laughs> and my dad's like, oh my, oh, something's wrong with Sammy. And he like calls the vet and my sisters and I are like, what are we gonna do? 
do we tell him? I don't know. What are we going to do? And then finally my dad's like, the, the vet said bring him to the hospital. So I'm like, all right, I'll go with you. So I like pick up Sammy. We get in the car. For whatever reason, I'm sitting in the back seat. My dad's in the front driving. Like we're driving Miss Daisy. And uh, during, the whole time my sister is texting me. She's like, you have to tell him before you get to the, to the, to the vet. You have to tell him. And I'm like, she's right. So I go, dad, um, I think, uh, we think Sammy ate something that might have had some THC in it. And there's this long pause. And then he goes, really? And I go, yeah. And he goes, did you feed them to him on purpose? And I was like, no, I'm not going to waste my drugs on your dog. (laughs) So my dad is like, just like quiet. And we get to the vet and we like walk in and there's this like cute, you know, like, and it's Christmas Eve and there's this like cute girl working the reception and we walk up and I'm like holding the dog. Oh no, we get out of the car. My dad's like, I'm going to take him in. Like, he's like, you're not touching my dog anymore. Um, So we walk in and I say to the receptionist and she's like, what's going on? I go, we're pretty sure our dog ate something with pot in it. And she goes, oh. <laughs> and then she goes, don't worry about it. This happens all the time. In fact, you're not even the first people today to come in with this. <laughs> so then another nurse comes out to like take us back to the room and she takes one look at Sam and she goes, oh, that dog is high. <laughs> So we go to the back and we meet the vet and the vet's asking, she's like, how many cookies did they have? And I'm like, "Mm, maybe five or six. I just couldn't be like 10 big fat chocolate chip cookies. And she's like, okay, it'll be fine. Um, and, but she actually says, thank you so much for telling us because you know, a lot of times people won't tell us and they'll sort of like say, we don't know what happened. And you know, it's one of those things where like the, the symptoms of, of a dog that is high are only the same as like some other weird like disease, some like brain disease that the dog might have, which are like very expensive tests. <laughs> so there are a lot of times people come in and be like, we don't know what's wrong. And they're like, do you think the dog is high? Because if not, we could do this $2,000 test. Or you can just tell us. And people are like, maybe I left a joint out. Um, But she's like, so thank you for telling us. We really appreciate it. I'm like, thank you. I am a hero. (laughs) Um, So the vets are like, and the nurses are all like, oh, it's fine and laughing. So like my dad like calms down and relaxes. And then, uh, but they have to keep Sammy there overnight because they just want to monitor him and make sure he gets a lot of fluids and liquids. So then my father and I leave and we're driving back and we're like not talking about it. We're just sort of like being like whatever and cool. But he's like cool. Like I was ready for like an old school getting yelled at from my father. Uh, But he was totally fine until like we pull into the driveway and like we pull in. He turns off the car and he just goes, get those goddamn cookies out of my house. So I pretended to throw them out (laughs) Um, because I still had a lot more holiday to get through. Um, Sammy came back on Christmas. He was fine. It was a Christmas miracle. I fly back home. Uh, and then my mom calls me a few days later and she's like, you're not going to believe this. Your father has told everyone that story. He thinks it's hilarious. Um, and everyone at the courthouse thinks it's the best story he's ever told. Uh, so now when I go home, my dad always laughs. And I guess we're friends now because I got his dog high. Probably not. All right. Thank you guys very much. So 
This is risk. <laughs> this is blondage behind me now. I'm laughing because my cat Donkey will not leave me alone. Uh, this is blondage behind me now. We just heard from John Flynn, who you can find at JFly99. And before that, we heard a little interstitial that our episode editor Jeff Barr made. You know, we put microphones rather close to the audience when we're recording a show. So at San Francisco Sketchfest. There was a microphone right in front of this lady who had the most wonderful laugh, and she was laughing all throughout uh, Jamie Kennedy's story, and Jeff just wanted to make a little song out of her laughing, so I hope she's not offended. We, we appreciate, we love your laugh, whomever you are, or whoever you are. I don't know grammar. I want to give a little shout-out to Rose O'Neill who is the latest person to give us $25 or more per month at Patreon. We always give a shout-out to those folks. You can become a member by going to patreon.com risk. There's so much bonus content for you to find there, and you will have the moral turpitude of knowing that you're helping keep risk running. I don't know vocabulary either. Or pronounce the our final story on this week's episode. This one was recorded years ago. You know, we have a lot of incredible stories that are in our vault. You know, there are dozens of reasons that we have to hold on to stories for a while. So it's really an honor to finally be running this one. This is Carrie Poppy, who you can find on Twitter at Carrie Poppy. Yes, but you should also definitely check out her podcast that she does with Ross Blotcher. It's called Oh No, Ross and Carrie. Now, if you're emotional about animals, this might make you feel even more than a dog on pot cookies did. Here she is now. This is Carrie Poppy at the Risk Live show in Los Angeles with a story we call Breach of Contract. I got Hi, everybody. Hi, uh, <laughs> hello, hello, front row. Um, I really like thought about whether to even um, tell this story because it is probably the most I've opened up about something personal to a bunch of strangers. I hope that if someone else is uh, going through this or has gone through this, that they'll feel a little less alone. So to understand this story, uh, you have to know that I worked in animal rights for about seven years. And um, that's something I really, really believe in and have since I was a kid. I really believe that if you can think and you can feel pain, you shouldn't have to feel pain. You shouldn't have 
your life ended um, before it needs to. And so that, um, that, that was and is a very deeply ingrained belief in me. And when I was 20, I was uh, walking along the side of the road in Stockton. What, what, Stockton? Yeah, well, you're better off. Um, but that's where I went to college, and this shelter had set up a bunch of cages on the side of the road, and they were um, trying to get these dogs adopted. And I walked by each one, and most of the puppies, they were mostly puppies, and they were like, but this one dog, this little black and white, kind of looked like a border collie, but tiny. Um, as I passed him, he was like, ah! And uh, because I'm emotionally healthy, I took this as I love you. Uh, and I, so I like kept moving on. And then every time I like left him, he's like, ah! And so I thought, you know, he's chosen me. Uh, looking back, you know, maybe he was just going to do that his whole life. But um, so I, I picked him up. And I held him in my arms, and I just, you know, I felt that connection. I knew that, like, if I put you down, I'm abandoning you. You're supposed to be mine. So I paid the $50 adoption fee. I took him home, got there, like, you know, gave him water, was like, you need that, you're a dog. You know, I didn't know, like, what to do. Went to sleep, woke up the next morning, and was like, fuck, what have I done? I am 20. I don't have a full dining set, and I have a dog. Like, how do you do this? So I went out and like bought all the accoutrement for a dog. It turned out that this dog, who, by the way, his name was Toomey. Um, funny name, I know, but I read it in a feng shui calendar, and I was 20, and he ended up with the name Toomey. <laughs> Toomey, <laughs> Toomey turned out to be like the most special dog like of all time. He had a sleepwalking disorder. Um, so you know how like you know how dogs like you know kick their feet and when they when they sleep sometimes Toomey would like get up and run and like hit the wall so it's a great slapstick but uh, you know a few vet visits um, but his sleepwalking disorder was so severe that one time I was asleep and I felt this um moisture hitting my face and in my oh yes and in my in my dream world uh, you know my mind justified that and said oh it's raining <laughs> but then I start realize like it's pouring and I open my eyes and to me is has his eyes are closed but he's got his one leg lifted and he is peeing on the pillow next to me so I go ah 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 and of course then pee goes in my mouth uh, yeah um, yeah, now you're like, fuck this dog. You can kill this dog. <laughs> um, so I, uh, yeah, so, so then, like, Toomey wakes up midstream, and I have never seen shame on a dog like that. He's like, oh, oh, and climbed off the bed, went under the bed, like, didn't come out for a day. Um, so, yeah, we've got, already got the sleepwalking, sleep-peeing dog. He had terrible ear infections that would never go away, started to affect his balance, he had all these allergies. He was allergic to wheat. He was allergic to certain meats. Like, you're a dog, Jesus. Um, he, he hated men. Um, he, his, uh, because he was part border collie, they have, like, problems with their ears and eyes. So his eyesight started to go. And, like, his eyesight started to go when he was, like, five or six. So it was, it was crazy. Um, so it got to this point where I, like, couldn't leave. Like, I couldn't go on vacation. I felt nervous every time I went to work because 
there was no one like in this world that was going to care for Toomey with me. Like I had a few friends that he trusted who would come over if there was an emergency, but even them, like sometimes he'd attack them. He was just that way. And obviously I could never call a dog walker. I couldn't bring him over to someone's house if I needed to go somewhere. And so really like for my 20s, I took care of this dog. I didn't go on vacation. I chose apartments and jobs and locations like entirely based on whether they would help Toomey out. So Toomey's aggression became worse and worse. And I tried to get him training. I ended up sinking $4,000 into dog training to no avail. So at some point I was like, okay, you know, I do believe that like that animals have their own personalities and their own rights and Toomey's like kind of betraying me like he has broken this contract between us but if he were like a human kid and he did that solution wouldn't be like oh put down your kid it would be that you get to go to the society and the state helps you or the city helps you or behavior specialists help you there was nothing to do when your loved one is a dog and so I I talked to my friend Alicia and I said okay like Toomey is starting to attack me. How many times do you think is too many before I should just put him down? And we decided that if he attacked me more than once a week, that seems like too much. So I started writing it on my calendar. I think it took three weeks. And by that point, he had attacked me like five times in those three weeks and drawn blood. So we said, okay, like this is, this is the point to give up. Um, And that was a really, really hard thing for me. And I know that's a really, really hard thing for anybody. But for someone who believes so deeply in the rights of animals, it was crushing. And it felt very lonely. Because my friends who kind of didn't get that aspect of my life, they were very kind. And they'd say, well, you tried everything. Like, Gary, you sunk all this, you know, this money into training him. And you loved him and you gave him everything you could. And they were right. And then some of my other friends would be like, oh, come on, like, you got to try one more thing. But like one more thing became one more thing became one more thing and it never ended. And I felt like I'm just in this in-between space and I am alone there thinking, I just want to say, like, I have to do this and it sucks. It's terrible. So I, uh, I found a vet who would come and do house calls um, And she actually went by the vegan vet. So I was like, that's going to be good. Um, She, uh, I called her up and she said, yeah, I can do that. And um, she came over six days before Christmas. And um, it's very awkward to like make small talk with someone who's about to put down your family member. She walked in and she's like, how are you? And I'm like, great. Um, Uh. At one point, like, she literally told me about her podcast. (laughs) You should listen to it. I'm like, yeah, I'll get on that maybe later. Um, But she was very, very sweet. And uh, I had three of my friends there. um, uh, And we were all, uh, including Alicia, we were all circled around to me and um, telling each other our memories of him, like, two-thirds of which were like, it was kind of funny when he attacked that one guy. Um, And... uh, And so the doctor said, "Uh, are you ready? 
And I said yes. And for some reason, I thought like I was saying yes, I'm ready for some long process. But of course, euthanasia is very quick. So she uh, she said okay, and she came over, and he was in my arms, and she gave him the sedative. So there are two shots. There's a sedative, and then there's the actual lethal shot. She gave him the sedative, but Tumi was so special, he was allergic to it and started having a seizure. Um, so what should have been this moment where I was like holding my dog who's, you know, calmly passing away ended up me being like, put it in there, kill him, do it. Uh, so, so she like, so she did, she gave him, gave him the shot and, um, and I, I remember like looking down at his body and saying, wow. And later I heard that Steve Jobs, when he died, his last words were, wow, wow, wow. And I thought, oh my God, I know exactly what he was feeling. Because there's just all this just amazement that washed over me, like, wow, Timmy's life. Wow, that's the end of what I spent my whole 20s on. And, and wow, like, I chose to take someone's life. For good or for bad, I chose to do that, and I will never be the same. Um, so we put Timmy in a box and I, I picked it up and he was so heavy he was only a 27 pound dog but like 27 pounds of somebody you loved is very heavy and I um I looked down at him and I felt his fur and it was so silky it felt silkier than it ever had and we um put him in my friend's car and we drove to my friend's house where he's going to be buried and we had um, kind of a little funeral for him. Uh, we all talked about like our memories of him, what he meant to us, what he kind of symbolized for us. And then my friend said, well, what do you want to say? And I said, this is really unfair, right? Like, this is really unfair to him and to me that I had to do this. And I want us to be real about this. Like, I killed him to save me. I didn't do this for him. I did this for me, and it sucks. And my friends who knew that's, I needed that instead of reassurance. They were like, yeah, it sucks. It really sucks, Gary. I think that Toomey would be mad at me for euthanizing him because that's the kind of guy he was. He stood up for himself. And, uh, and so when I think about Toomey, like, I don't believe in heaven, but I like the idea. So if I think about Toomey looking down on me, I think he's probably like, oh, that, you know, that was real shitty, man. But <laughs> I, uh, I like to think he would also sort of be proud for me that, um, like him, I stood up for myself and I respected myself and I did something selfish to save myself. And I miss him. But I'm not sorry. I also am very struck by um, how much we remember animals alone. I remember Toomey every day. And I know that a couple of people do. They think about him. But when you lose a person, there's what, 30, 40 people you can go to who are like, oh, yeah, I remember that about Dave. Well, you lose an animal alone, and you remember them alone. And I will never forget how heavy he was in that goddamn box. Thanks. (laughs) 
Tell me again about how it hurts being awfully loud for an introvert. Get out of my room. Smile wiped clean. Isn't it weird to be so mean? I'm guessing that I've grown horns. I guess I'm human no more. I can tell I've rotted in your brain. Oh, how easily passion twists. You think I'm a crazy bitch. I craft my words to fit your head. Cause no one listens to the dead. So maybe I will talk to you. The only way I know how to. Mm-hmm, I've said my speech. Mm-hmm, through sharpened teeth. You break the rules and spikes grow from your skin. Please let the devil in. That is all for this week's episode, folks. This is Dodie behind me now. And we just heard from Carrie Poppy. Oh my gosh, I was just thinking that, um, you know, when I put an episode together, the very first thing at the top of my mind is the tone of stories. So in this case, I was thinking two funny stories and a sad story. You might have heard at the beginning of the episode how I said that this particular episode was very, very much thrown together at the last minute. But as I was doing the hosting segments, I thought, oh, yeah, okay, yeah. Two regrettable situations with animals. I better knuckle down and get ready for all the how dare you, Kevin Allison, and shame on you, Kevin Allison emails. But messy situations happen to people with animals all the time. And like Jamie Kennedy said in his story, this might be unsettling, but it's risk. Don't forget, you can always find new information about where the next Risk Live shows are happening at risk-show.com slash tour. And if you need any extra storytelling training, go look for us at thestorystudio.org. There's all kinds of ways to learn about storytelling through our school at thestorystudio.org. Folks, today's the day. Take a risk.